Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks that a move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 162. Well, just ahead, smaller oil producers are preparing to drill baby drill. And how inflation pressures are shifting strategies in major food producers and housing suppliers. We're going to look at two of the canaries in the coal mine of food and housing. And Stratasys, it's not the 3D printing company you used to know. Look at the real business of 3D printing in 2022. My conversation with Stratasys CEO, Dr. Yo Zeif. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn. I was going to catch my breath after that. There's so many options. But hit the subscribe button. You can catch every show. And the drill down is also brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We're going to tell you the business stories behind some stocks on the move. And joining me as always, executive producer Isaac Webster, back from Social media suggest you were in Ibiza. Uh, that is one of the places I was. I was in Ibiza. I was, um, I don't want to, I'm humble. Bra- <laughs> we were all over the place in Europe. It was great. Go on. We went, we went to else? three different countries. Uh, San Tropez and Positano and Monaco. Oh my God. <laughs> it was great. I, was I hate saying it out loud because it feels places. very, I'm not trying to brag, but it was amazing. Did you see, a, was, did you see yeah. a big yacht offshore with like a six foot five guy on it with a goatee? Uh, more than one actually was one of those yachts yours. Well, I don't want to brag, but uh, maybe. <sighs> yeah, this is my first time to Saint Tropez, and um, it it definitely delivered. It delivered the goods. Lived up to all the hype. Lived up Ho- to the hype. Hopefully, we can do the same with the show today. Yeah, Corey, what stocks you're drilling down on? Let's start with Talos Energy. Talos Energy trades under T A L O Talo. And shares are down just over 1.2% a year. Not bad considering the overall market. Still some steep losses over the past month. In June 2022, just a month ago, shares touched over 25 bucks a share. A month later, right now as we speak, shares are just over 13. So cut in half. Um, so interesting. I, I thought it'd be, this is a good time. Boy, I, this is one of the days when I, I, when I sort of wish we were doing not just one show a day, which we're not doing right now, but maybe one show like every few hours, because there's so yeah. much information we're getting out of companies. That, yes. You know, the, the difference between the trailing economic statistics of only a few weeks ago and where we are right now is so important because there's a lot of speculation that the big inflation numbers that came out uh, in the last few days from the Bureau of Labor Statistics and so on might be tra- too much of a trailing indicator and that companies are telling us things are changing even if the numbers haven't shown up yet. So yesterday, the CEO of Chevron uh, was on CNBC saying that uh, even though oil prices are down quite a bit, and we've had uh, daily declines in uh, in uh, gas prices, I think for well over 20 days now, um, he said, quote, the tightness in supply hasn't gone away. You think it's great for the economy, the prices have moderated, but I also see, said the CEO of Chevron, I also see the risks remaining skewed towards the upside. 
in terms of pricing. So that suggests inflation isn't over, right? So but what does that mean for the smaller producers? Are they going, you know, never in my lifetime, uh, at least as long as I've been following oil and gas, oil and gas, and it's been a long time, um, have producers not taken the bait? And when prices get high, the small producers turn up the spigots. And that hasn't happened yet in this rise in oil prices. They've shown remarkable um, resistance to pumping more oil. And I keep waiting for somebody to give here. So Talos, uh, not doing earnings right now, but uh, having a sort of a little roadshow meeting with investors. Uh, Jeff Robertson is a terrific analyst, uh, formerly of Lehman. Now he's hanging a shingle at Water Tower Research. He had these guys in for a a meeting and and uh, uh, what they had to say was really interesting. Uh, kind of asking that question about whether they are going to indeed get the approvals and the permits and everything needed to be a more active driller of oil and gas. Being that forward thinking independent, I mean, as we've gotten into even in shale, you saw a lot of the independents and privates lean in up front um, and and take an early stake. And I think that's where we can be a first mover here establish ourselves and, and and do some quick learning along the way and bring in those right parties. Um, that's That's been our name of the game. We have aspirations to continue to grow, uh, but we, we do have that entrepreneurial spirit willing to, to lean a little bit and, and be creative on how we do it as well. I think that's that's important as you're getting into new evolving and emerging markets and be a little open-minded and, and, and looking at things in a slightly different way. So that sounded to me like they're going to get some more stuff done here. It might take some time, and that might be why the stock got cut in half. But uh, that entre entrepreneurial spirit suggests to me that, yes, indeed, they're going to be uh, shovels in the ground. Looking a different way. New evolving, emerging markets. What, what's wrong with that? A lot to deci decipher there. Corey, what is your next drill down? Fasten all. Fast and all is uh, trades under FAST fast shares have fallen over 11% a year currently trading around 47 bucks a share a ways off from their 52 week high of $65. Yeah. So this is a, of course, a, a giant construction supply business out of Minnesota, a $27 billion market cap enterprise value about the same. Um, and, you know, if you want to know how construction housing construction is going, you, you, this is the place to start because can't build a house without fasteners that, you know, put together pieces of wood and, and faster than a nail. And that's, you know, the $27 billion market cap business, half of that business is selling fasteners and other construction stuff. So if you want to know about housing inflation, this is a good place to start. And what's interesting for these guys is they're, they're, they're where they are in the inflation cycle seems to be more predicated by what's going on with inventory and their real concern is that now that inventory uh, bottlenecks are finally being released and there's a lot more supply coming over, they're actually already concerned about deflation as they turn their inventory. Here's Dan Florsness, the CEO of Fastenal. Fasteners were 50% of our mix. The uh, um, a fair amount of that is product that, that most of the fasteners in this country uh, are not produced in this country. And so uh, whether it's us or uh, supply chain partners in North America, most of that's coming from Asia. And uh, if there is deflation going on, that there's a squeeze that goes on there that occurs in your turn of inventory. Once you get through that turn of inventory, um, that issue goes away. Again, the question is how much supply do you have? 
the uh, those dynamics uh, are in play. The uh, you know the non-fastener piece, um, a chunk of that uh, we source domestically, a chunk of that we import. I suspect chunk of what we imp- we buy domestically is imported by somebody else. Um, there would be some of those dynamics going on too. Um, deflationary environment is is not a friend to gross profit in the short term. It wasn't in 2009. It wasn't in you know in the early 90s. It wasn't uh, in the late 90s, and it won't be if something would, if that would happen in today's world. So interesting that you've got a company here talking about kind of what profit margins look like in an inflationary period, but that they're already worried about deflation and the compression of those profit margins. Very different than the company we're about to discuss. Yeah, it's funny. I haven't heard uh, someone talk about deflation like this for quite some time. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at ConAgra Brands. ConAgra Brands trades trades under CAG, and CAG CAG shares have fallen three percent a year, but at thirty two bucks a share, it's still trading just under its fifty two week high of thirty seven dollars a share. Not so not so bad. Yeah, well, that's 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 a lot worse than thirty seven. Look, um, this is a chance to look at food inflation and really hear it from the producer's mouth, if you will. Food inflation um, is one of the biggest drivers of the big inflation uh, numbers that have been coming out. Um, it has accelerated for 13 months in a row. It's at 10.4% on an annualized basis in June. Uh, the biggest increase um, uh, is, uh, since February of 81, the food at home index at 12.2%, uh, was up 12.2%. That's uh, the largest 12-month increase since 1979. Um, so, uh, you know, food inflation, that's, that's the question here. What does it mean for these companies? What does it mean also for profits? For these companies, when prices, you know, when they their their raw costs go up, can they jack prices enough and take what they call pricing actions to get ahead of this and, and keep the company profitable? Um, and it's interesting that these guys sound like they're in a little bit of a different place than Fastenal, talking about the lag effect of when their prices rock, uh, get higher, then they raise the prices that they other oh, sorry the raw goods prices get higher. Then they raise the prices they charge the consumer and start to reap that profit. And once those are locked in, how can higher profits be kind of a permanent thing for this company? Listen to Sean Connolly, the CEO of ConAgra. Inflation, as we've experienced over the last year or so, it, it tends to come in waves. And that means we take successive waves of pricing. Each one of those pricing actions then triggers its own lag effect, which lasts you know, about 90 days. Once you get through that lag effect, you really start to see the benefit of the pricing in the P&L. And then the following year, when you wrap that lag window, you really start to see some meaningful year-on-year improvements in the profitability. The tricky thing is if, if you have to feather in new pricing actions, you also feather in new lags. So that's why you know each year is, is different because you've got different levels of waves of inflation and you've got different responses. The good news is, you know, hopefully this inflation cycle is getting mature. We've been pretty aggressive in, in getting the actions into place. And, and after you get through those 90 days, you can start to see some benefits. So he's talking about waves of inflation, but it starts to sign to, you know, I thought the phrase, this inflation cycle is getting mature, suggests to me that maybe they're starting to see uh, that we're closer to the end than we are the beginning or middle of inflation in food prices. Yeah, it did seem to imply that. I, I like what he told us about the lag effect. 
All right, coming up next, the Stratasys CEO, Dr. Yov Zeif, joins us to talk about where 3D printing really is. Kind of try to strip away some of the hype and talk about how this business uh, that's now decades old is actually being used. With the drill down, continue. The drill down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. All right, thanks for being with us on the Drill Down Podcast. Right now, we are joined by the CEO of Stratasys. Uh, I think the cream of the crop among the 3D printing companies, Yoav, Yoav Zeif joins us right now, uh, the CEO joining us from Israel. Um, Yoav, glad to have you on. Thanks for coming uh, on the Drill Down Podcast. Happy to be here with you, Corey. Thank you for inviting me. So you were asking before how I know the company, and I will tell you how I know the company. Uh, uh, back a long time ago, back when I was a hedge fund manager, I was short the stock. Uh, and I was short the stock uh, because I just thought the price was overvalued. So I want to, I want to put that out there to be totally transparent about it. I have no position. I haven't had a position since 2009, I think. But, um, uh, but I spent a lot of time studying this company. Um, I think of it as a Minnesota-based company. In fact, I was surprised to come back and look at the filings that you file a 20F annual report, not a 10K annual report with the SEC. A 20F is the, annual, is, is the 10K for a foreign filer, yeah. for those who don't know. Um, that's usually where I begin my research. Um, why, what happened? What have I missed in the last 13 years with Stratasys? 2012, 2013, the merger itself happened. There was a reverse merger between Stratasys, the American company, and Obje, the Israeli company. So Stratasys, right. Stratasys was right. and is the leader in FDM technology, large parts, uh, aerospace, this type of thing. And Obje was and is the leader in uh, material jetting, 3D printing. And so they, FDM, uh, fused, as I recall, fused deposition modeling. Yeah. Well, well done. <laughs> I, t I did some work. So one of the things that I did, I was, I, it was, you know, I went and called, you know, dozens and dozens of sales of companies that, that use the products or sold the products to try to figure out what's going on. And really, the, you know, a lot of the stocks that I was short in that area of, of my life were things that were frauds. Your, your company did not seem in any way to be a fraud for me. What it seemed like is you guys were running up against an oncoming recession in 2007, 2008, and the then management of the company didn't seem to be, um, at the, uh, to be kind, they weren't transparent about it, or at the very least, it, maybe it even caught them by surprise. But um, uh, it did seem that there was an underlying issue with 3D printing, right? People have believed that 3D printing is the future because it's, I guess, more than 1D printing. I don't know why that would be the case. But there, were, there was a lot of um, uh, rapid prototyping. They were, they were like, hey, can we make a plastic version of this gear to see if we like the design so that later on we can build it in metal? But the real dream, it seemed, and you please feel free to correct me, the dream was that someday 3D printing would make the actual parts. They would rapidly, it wouldn't be prototype parts. They would actually be, um, parts that could be used in production so that you wouldn't have to go through the whole manufacturing process for things when you didn't need a lot of parts. And that 3D printing would be the answer to that. And that always seemed to be um, the carrot on the stick, the hope for the future of 3D printing that never seemed to be realized. 
And so I wonder where we are and if things are truly different than they were back when I was doing so much work on this name back in 2008. Corey, you are spot on. Wow, that's one in a row. No, you are spot on. This is, this is the question. <laughs> start here, finish here, and everything. Uh, it emerged, 3D printing emerged as prototyping or rapid prototyping technology. But the dream was to be in manufacturing, really to print the end use path because the benefits are enormous. It's like sky's the limit because you can print whatever you want, wherever you want, when you want it immediately. So you don't need inventories. You don't need supply chains. You can personalize and you can make it more sustainable. So the dream is very clear and the benefits are very clear, but the industry was not ready to deliver on the dream 15 years ago. Even, even in the last- Well, the technology just wasn't there. The technology, I mean- It's more the than- The parts just weren't strong enough. The, but it's more than the, the solution was not there. It's a combination. This is a complex uh, industry. Yeah. It's a combination of hardware, software, material, service, and how you tailor all of them together into a real use case, specific use case that delivers success. And it was not there. And then what happened, so if you ask me now, why, why it happened? Why we haven't delivered? Why it's not growing now? Because now we are in a completely different situation. We are really in an inflection point, especially after the pandemic, where we could react and we did it. We put 150 of our customers, the biggest clients in the world, the biggest customer in the world, the Boeings and the Metronics and the Toyota, we put them on one network and we brought to life the potential of additive manufacturing because we received voluntarily asks from hospitals. We distributed it digitally to all those customers of us, and they operated our machine, printed uh, face shields and ventilators parts, sent it to us, and we sent it to the hospitals. It was, you know, and it was my in my uh, first two months. In the, in the job. So we were focusing on doing good, but we brought to life the potential of redistributed manufacturing. And why we are in an inflection point? Because today- But explain, we, that, explain that to me again, because it seems, I'm sorry, you are, I'm interrupting and I apologize. No, no, go explain ahead. Explain to me why that's a good business. That doesn't seem like a, that doesn't seem like a great business for you. It seems like the advantage for 3D printing are unique and complicated parts not things like a face shield. No, because then there was no, this is just an example. I was not clear enough. The pandemic yeah. brought to life the potential. I'm not going to print face shield, but you do it in injection molding or, or sheet or whatever uh, traditional methodology. But Which the is ability cheap. to react immediately at the right time with the right part, only 3D printing has this versatility. Where we are today is that we can really build solution that works and deliver higher value than traditional manufacturing. We're not going to replace all manufacturing, but today we are less than 1% and we are a 13, $14 billion industry. Now think what happened if we will be 5% or 10%. Sky is the limit. And we, is exactly uh, yeah, there. It always is. 
the other the other thing that seemed like the, the dream was that you would get to a point where um, so much manufacturing was happening that then there would be a razor razor blade model and you'd actually make money on the consumables on the inputs that would go into the machines. Uh, but the machines is really the main business. And that's still the case for you. Yes. It's the base, but it's not the it's not the, the model. The model is definitely what we call unit economics. The model is to sell a machine as the, I would say, the core of the solution. And then we sell on top of the machine also today. You know, ballpark, one third of what we are selling is hardware, one third is consumable, and the rest is service. Okay? So <laughs> the model is very attractive. And moving to manufacturing means that the unit economics, the share of consume, consumables is much higher. Uh, a manufacturing machine, and I will explain exactly what we say when we relate to, what do we mean when we relate to manufacturing, but a manufacturing machine will consume between 5x to 10x compared to a prototyping machine. But prototyping machine is not working 24-7. You need a machine that can work 24-7, and this is where Stratasys shines. In the reliability... And maybe where... And maybe where it didn't before, I mean, it used to be, it took a really long time to make a single part with one of these machines. I mean, you couldn't, you know, if you if you had a complicated part that was the size, and if you had a, I use the example of a gear, but if you had a complicated gear or something like that, or a piece of a machinery that was the size of, say, an orange, you know, that thing could take, uh, that needed to be made of a hard enough material to be put to use for even some period of time, that, that could take hours to print that. That's That's a great point. So let me take a step back, okay? We are now in a journey to take this industry. We are focusing on polymers. By the way, this is one of the changes I made in Stratasys. I dropped the metal uh, technologies because we want to focus on something that we are the best in. We are the best in polymers. We started with two technologies, the polyjet, the material jetting, and the FDM, the material extrusion. And we added three new technologies where we had, where we have Competitive edge, but a strong competitive edge, technological competitive edge in each one of them. We had a DLP, SLA, and HSS, what we call SAF, which is a powder bed fusion. It's the SAF. The DLP is VAT uh, based, and the uh, uh, SLA is uh, uh, stereolithography. We added those technologies and now we are coming to our customers with five technologies and we can solve any problem. You know that in additive manufacturing, one of the barriers was that you could not deliver the expectations because there is no silver bullet. There is no one technology can deliver, but we now have five technologies and we can solve problems for specific application. And this is the differentiator of strategists the superior application fit because I have every technology, the best one in the market with full solution, hardware, software, material, service, and tailoring it around the software solution. We are cracking the code on the barriers, the barriers to adopting, for adopting additive in manufacturing is the reliability of the technology, you just said, it has to be fast. When you talk about technology, there are two things that you need to check. Sorry for simplifying. 
quality of the part. Please do. Does it, does it meet the part properties? Can you compete with traditional manufacturing or even being better? The quality of the part. And there are many things. Uh, I'm talking about quality, the power properties. If it's lighter and stronger, there is a ratio here. You're doing, we can do much better than traditional manufacturing and injection molding if we are practically designing for additive. So the quality of the part, and the second thing is the cost per part. The technology today in terms of output, uh, throughput, look at the DLP on our origin one, we are very fast. Look at our SAF. This is a manufacturing machine. No more waiting days for a part. It, those days are over. This is the first barrier. The second barrier was the material. We in Stratasys, we transform the way we are looking at material because we open up our platforms. We have now what we call open material license. You can decide that you want Stratasys machine out of the five technologies, and you can buy third-party materials based on our material licensing and so our what kind of let me let me ask you about that what what kind of materials are we talking about i mean it was usually you know for lack of a better word uh plastics it was it was very hard plastics was kind of the dream was how hard could you get you the plastic well the dream was metal and there are companies as you say you've dropped metal metal's been a real problem um uh, for 3d printing but but uh, those those hard polymers how many options can a customer have dozens of options dozens of options and really Yes, really. Just this year, we are introducing, as part of our open material licensing, we just announced it, 16 third-party materials that are validated by us. I've fooled you into thinking I know something about the, your business. I don't understand what use case you would want different types of plastics for. Can um, you explain it simply? Yeah. We are addressing many different applications. Each application requires completely different type of materials. A material for prototyping is the most basic plastic, ABS, ASA. A material for that need to meet uh, smoke retarded, uh, uh, aerospace requirements, like we have a, a partnership with Boom Supersonic, which is the new Concorde, the new supersonic uh, airplane. And we are producing for them, they are producing with our machines, prototyping, jigs, tools, and fixtures, and end-use parts for their airplane. And they do it with Ultem, which is a high-end uh, material, or with uh, composites. So you need different materials for, air, for airplanes. You need different materials for dentures. So if you need dentures, the future will be that the, the dentist will scan your mouth and you will print it near the chair or you'll come tomorrow morning and you will have it exactly what you need. Think about it. We can have be in a village in India and just coming from India or Africa, coming with two vans and just scanning the whole village, dentures, people do not have teeth there. And a few hours later, all of them are smiling because we know how to print it directly with our technologies. So back back in the day when I you know, the this the old Stratasys the Eden Prairie Minnesota based company uh, had machines that went from eighty five thousand dollars to four hundred thousand dollars although they didn't really sell many of the four hundred thousand dollar machines what kind of the, the the use case you're describing a van shows up at a village in Africa and someone pays to to uh, uh, create dentures for all those people who need them 
What is what do those machines cost? 100k called Medijet. It's a polyjet machine. That's it. 100k. Really? Yeah. Amazing, no? And wow. And uh, um, there are also uh, um, less expensive one, DLP ones like our Origin one could be a bit lower. And uh, yeah, one on 100k, changing people life. And by you, the way, you talk about. I was in India. Yeah, no kidding. I, I was in India last week. I met uh, brain surgery in Ames. This is one of the best hospitals in India, but very you know serving everyone. So it's very unique to see it. And he had almost 20,000. He conducted 20,000 brain surgeries. And he is using our polyjet to print anatomic models, what we call pre-surgical planning. This is another application to train before the brain surgery and to train his doctors. So, you know, really, there, there, there are so many opportunities, so many different applications, and you need different, you need different materials and you need a significant variety of materials for let me add a more, maybe more typical use of something you actually, because this is, this has always been the case. The dream of 3D printing has always been great. Some of the applications and examples of applications have been mind blowing, but most of the business has been industrial. And uh, yeah. you mentioned in your, in your 20F filing, uh, companies like Airbus and the US Navy and General Motors. Give me an example of something that General Motors is doing where they're using actually a bunch of machines. I know they're a big customer, not just a, a sample customer. So General Motors are building their, uh, they are, using us for jigs, fixtures, and tools in their production line. We are becoming the standard there. And uh, we announced it uh, you know, many, many, many months ago that they use our F450, they're using our FDM. Uh, and also, by the way, the, in, in the pandemic, they transformed the whole production line our, to, to produce ventilators parts. But they are using it for jigs and fixtures. For example, they print with composites, a tool for some for an employee to assemble um, wheels for uh, jigs and fixture for safety tools, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, take the U.S. Navy. This is the largest deal in our industry last year. Twenty million dollar, twenty five F nine hundred machines, and where we prove the concept of distributed manufacturing. They have F900 machines in, in many bases in the world, San Diego, Hawaii, Japan, Europe. And instead of having physical inventory, they are printing parts for U.S. Navy airplanes on uh, aircraft carriers, for aircraft carriers, in order to make sure that the plane is not on the ground and can fly immediately after a few hours. And they are saving them. Many wow. That is another dream, right? Which is you, is, is you can have lower inventory in uh, on the edges of any network. If your network happens to have aircraft carriers at the end of the network and factories full of parts at the, at the beginning of the network, or maybe even suppliers at the beginning of that network in the center, yeah. the core of that network, maybe you could have a 3D printer at the edge. You're actually seeing that use case. It's fascinating. So given all this, Yoav, why are sales down? year after year after year. Yes, they are up over the COVID year of last year, but since 2015, you've seen a, a revenue decline a little bit every single year, no? No, but we were a different company. Till I joined two and a half years ago, we were a prototyping company. Since I joined, we changed the strategy from prototyping to manufacturing, polymer manufacturing. 
we will win because we have the full package and solution. And we are building five growth engines, material, uh, sorry, hardware, the best one, open material platform, open software platform, service, and use cases. What the use case of spare part we just discussed, this is one example. We examine 183 use cases where we have significant advantage over traditional manufacturing. One of them is the spare part, and it's working. Since I joined, we are, except of the first COVID quarter, we are checking the box of every quarter. There are expectations of the market, and we are delivering. No, it is true. And we are delivering, and we are selling, and, I, and, I, and we are selling this year 22% in Q1, 22% higher than Q1 last year, and more than in Q1 2019. Actually, in Q1 2022 is the best Q1 quarter for the last six years. So we are stopped declining. That's all the story. We are now in the future. That's got to feel good. It is because we are delivering value to our customers where there is a need. There is a need for personalization, for digitalization, for localization, for onshoring. There is a need. That's why Biden, President Biden came with this AM forward because the need is there. Supply chains are not working. Everybody wants to do it near his plant, near his home. And there is a need and we can deliver in small to medium, I'm talking about thousands or, or dozens of thousands parts. And in case of high-end parts, in, when we do design for additive, we deliver high, better value than traditional manufacturing, period. And that's what we are doing. By the way, by the way, we are also uh, measuring it and I can share. Well, yeah, please share. So when I start, what's the measure? Because that gets to my question. I said, right? you know what? We are saying we are going to manufacturing. No old hair anymore. We are not in the business of talking and, and selling dreams. We are in the business of delivering value. And we said, we are going to measure what percent of our sales is going to end use parts. End use parts is, is manufacturing because you are producing something that someone is using. As opposed to prototyping. Yeah. Exactly. And last year in 2020, when we started measuring it, we were around the 25%. In 2021, we are already in 29% of our sales. And we believe that this part will grow huh. above 20% every year because we are focusing on it. We put the organization around it. We put the resource again. We made bold move to shift resources to manufacturing solutions. And we are measuring ourselves and we announce it's part of our reporting to the market. So the market can look at us and say, yes, those guys are not just telling us stories or dreams. They are measuring themselves. They know exactly which use cases they are going for. And we can look at it and measure it. Yeah, I, I was the question I was going to ask you, because it's... It, you know, as I said, I think I've always thought that Stratasys was kind of the class of the industry, but the industry has been full of some companies that were, if not complete frauds, right up against the line of it. I mean, there was one company that I covered at Bloomberg. I won't mention the name so they don't sue me anymore. But I remember I, I went to a factory. They had a, they had announced that they had a factory that was going to open in September uh, in, uh, uh, near, near the big automakers in Michigan. And I flew out to that factory with my cameraman. We walked up to that building and it was empty. 
It was literally an empty building. They had a receptionist in the front and nothing behind with an entire factory that was supposed to be operational within a few weeks of my arrival. And that was, it was a, it was a sham. And I think that your 3D printing industry has been filled with lots of those things. So what is the metric that, is, that when we all look at these companies that could prove to us that this stuff is, is really happening? Is it that manufacturing percentage? There are many, but if you ask me one, repeated sales. There is nothing about selling here and there a machine to explore. It's nice, it's, you know, for exploring technology, but you need to make sure that you have a customer and you're not selling one machine, you don't sell two machines, you sell 20 machines, you sell 30 machines over the years for one solution. And this is what Stratasys is good in. We have substance. We are not the only one who has substance. There are very good companies in our industry, but there are also less good companies that, you know, they are riding the Wall Street waves. And, and then, but by the way, the current situation is good for Stratasys. Of course, I would like to see higher uh, share, but it's good for us because at those times, only the companies that deliver real value and substance will survive. It's good for us. And we are focused on building the best 3D printing company in the world. And we are building foundations. Great innovation, hardware, software, material, service, solution that we put under the one umbrella of software, one umbrella of software platform. Those foundations will differentiate us from the pack. That's what we are doing. Unfortunately, all those companies in the past made a lot of damage to the confidence of our customers and the awareness because they were exploded. And I was in India and I had, and in Japan, and I had those comments. They said, yes, but we tried this one and that one and it didn't work, but I said, okay, so what? Yoav Zeif is the CEO of Stratasys. We are grateful for your time, sir. We appreciate it. Wish you a lot of luck. Uh, and we're going to give you one number when we return after this little break. One number that tells us a whole lot about Stratasys when the drill down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A.com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on your smart speaker by asking your smart speaker. Actually, Isaac, look, I now have one of these little smart speakers next to my desk here. Let's try Ooh, it. Hey, Alexa, fancy. play The Drill Down podcast. Can you wait a second? Play The Drill Down from Amazon Music. Resuming Season 1, Episode 153, Riot Blockchain CEO Jason Lay, R-I-O-T. Hey, that's not even the latest show. It's I guess the, the last show you're listening it. to or the latest show. Yeah. I suspected at the time. I feel so techy right now. Is that what my voice sounds like? Well, you can do that with your smart speaker and check out the Drill Down Podcast. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot about Stratasys. So Isaac, um, to Yoav's point, uh, uh, the company is growing over 2019 numbers, um, finally. 
after many, many years of, of stagnation and falling revenues. Um, system revenues, so the selling of machines was up, drumroll, 16.4% over the first quarter of 2019. So 2022 um, uh, revenues for selling the machines, the systems, uh, was up 16%, 16 uh, over uh, 2019. But the consumables, right, the stuff that goes into the machines was up only 0.5%. So I think it shows they've still got a ways to go for this to be a business where the consumables are growing faster than the system sales. Yeah, but it's, um, that is, a, those, it seems like it's headed in the right direction. Yeah, it'd be a good thing when that happens for them. Why not? Yeah. Right, you been listening to Drill Down Podcast. We are grateful for your time. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.